As we've been learning from the minor prophets this summer, usually what we've seen are prophets challenging people with a word from God, usually trying to get the people to change their ways. But our prophet Habakkuk today is a little bit different because in his book we see this prophet challenging God with questions. He's asking God for answers. He's asking for God to change things. Because the fact is, he could see people were losing hope. He was losing hope. And Habakkuk was on the hunt to find it in these questions that he had for God. And the word for prophecy in Hebrew can be translated burden, kind of like a heavy thing that you're holding on to that you'd really like to set down. And Habakkuk's prophetic burden was these questions, these things that he just had to keep asking God over and over again until he got an answer. And some say he was asking these questions over a period of 12 years before he saw the answers, which is a long time to sit with a question, at least for most of us. So I want to ask you today, are there questions that you've been asking God? Are there questions that you've been living with that you're not even sure you can ask God? And if so, you can learn from the faith of Habakkuk today of how to boldly and persistently ask God what's on your heart and how in the process that you can trust God's heart to bring you hope even from behind the scenes even as you wait. If you'd like to use a Bible today, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and hand them out this morning. In the Quest Bible, the book of Habakkuk starts on page 1370, and this book is structured into three chapters. The first chapter is his first question and God's answer. The second chapter is his second question and God's answer, and then chapter three is different. Chapter 3 is a prayer that Habakkuk prays to prepare his heart. It's a prayer of faith, believing that God will answer and deliver hope, even if right now he can't see how. So let's take a look at those questions, because those questions that Habakkuk is asking are pretty universal ones for people who are experiencing suffering. And his first question is, how long? In Habakkuk 1-2, he asks, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? And his second question is, why? In Habakkuk 2, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why, then, do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? How long? And why? Now, how long is the question that you ask when you're living in a situation that you are anxious to see change? And if you have ever been a kid, I'm sure you asked that question as you endured intolerable situations like long car rides or lines at the grocery store or waiting for mom to finish talking to her friends at church before you can go home. How long must I endure this? I have a friend who, whenever they're on road trips and her kids ask, are we there yet? Immediately answers, yes, get out. (laughs) (laughs) And that, of course, makes them laugh, since obviously they're not, but that it also forces them to ask their real question, which is, well, how long is it then? Or why does it take so long? But are even those the right questions? I mean, do they really want to know the answers to those things? And thinking about that question reminded me of a cartoon that I used to watch as a kid. Does anybody remember this blast from the past? Is it much further, Bob and Spur? Not far now. Oh, my. How much further? 
not far now. This isn't funny. How much further, Papa Smurf? Not far now. <gasps> is it much further, Papa Smurf? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> It's something deeply human about asking those questions, how long and why. But when it's a long way, do we really want to hear the answer? When kids on a road trip ask, why does it take so long? Give them an explanation as to why the speed limits were set for the roads that you need to travel or how road construction impacts travel time. And they're going to tune you out in about 15 seconds because they really don't care why it takes so long. And unfortunately, the same is true for us. When we ask God the questions, how long and why is this happening, we aren't really asking God to help us understand the complicated nature of cause and effect and how free will and our own sin and the sin of other people have combined to create the uniquely broken experience where we find ourselves today. I think if God actually gave us the actual answer to why this is happening, we would tune out too. Because we don't really care why. What we really want to know is, God, do you care what's happening to me? Do you see me? Do you see my suffering? Does it matter to you? And when Habakkuk is asking God, how long, Lord, must I call for help? Or why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? What he's asking is, God, don't you care about your people? Because when I don't see you moving, it's easy to think you don't. And that's what how long and why are really about. You see, Habakkuk sees the wicked around him, kind of like fishermen with a dragnet, that they're dragging it through the water and they're picking out all the helpless fish and feasting on them whenever they want, using other people for their own selfish gain. And he sees them choosing then to worship the net because they think that's what made them rich. He sees that God is not honored that people are caught up in bad situations, and that people are worshiping the tools that they use to manipulate power, the almighty dollar, power, influence, appearances, status, all those things that intimidate people enough that they choose to look the other way, even when what is being done is clearly wrong. And Habakkuk is crying out to God, if I can see that's not right, God, surely you can. How long will this go on? Why do you let this happen? And how does God answer these questions? How long and why? Well, how do we respond to a child who asks those how long and why questions that we know they don't really want the answers for? How do we address the question behind the question? Well, we turn our full attention to them. We let them know that we see them and that we're with them and that they're loved. And then we give them hope that we are on the way together. And whether the wait is long or short, we are going to get there together. And that's what God does here. God's answer to how long to Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1.5 is, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm not going to tell you all that I'm going to do because you wouldn't believe me anyway. Just know I'm on it, Habakkuk, and we are on the way, not far now. 
And God's answer to why he seems so silent about evil in Habakkuk 2, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by faithfulness. See, God answers, he won't let evil stand forever, that justice is coming, though his timing is not our timing. But in the meantime, he's saying, it's time to change your focus because vengeance is not your job. Stop being so focused on how bad the bad guys are. Leave that to me. Your job is to yourself live what you know to be right. The righteous will live by faithfulness. And people who live worshiping what gets them ahead now are going to end up missing the one thing that actually matters. So don't be jealous of them. Don't clamor after them. Instead, you set a different direction. Have a different mindset. Keep your focus on the Lord. And eventually, they might wonder what you're looking at. Enough to take a look at what you're looking at instead. In Habakkuk 2, 13 through 14, Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire and that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God is saying this is where you should invest your life because there's so much more to this story. And this section is summed up by a verse from Habakkuk that was actually used in the opening of the old Augustana worship liturgy every Sunday. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So basically what this is saying is, even if all the earth seems like a complete mess, God is not. And he is, he always has been, he always will be on the throne. So when all seems lost, don't give up. No, there's not only one who has the answers, but who is the answer. Even when you don't get it. Especially when you don't get it. There's a story in John chapter 6 where Jesus has just fed the 5,000 on the hillside miraculously and a whole bunch of people start following him just for the free food. And Jesus tells them that he didn't come just to save them from today's hunger. He came to save them for eternity, telling them, I am the bread of life. Those who eat of me will live forever. Now, obviously, if you hear somebody saying something like that, you're going to have to ask some follow-up questions, right? What? Eat your flesh? What do you mean? How? Why? To get to what's real, you have to go deeper than the surface. And Jesus' way of teaching constantly invites people to go deeper, to ask him our questions. But most of that crowd were just not up for that. Honestly, they didn't care why Jesus came. They just wanted bread. So they said, this is too hard to understand. And they walked away. But then Jesus asked his disciples, are you going to leave too? And Peter's answer showed what he really hungered for. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Why would we leave just because we don't understand when we know that you're the one 
who has the answers. Now, Peter often has the gift of sharing the obvious, but I'm so glad that he does, because sometimes the obvious is exactly what we need to hear. When you don't understand, what do you do with your questions? Faith says you keep on asking the one with the answer. And Jesus actually taught us that in a parable. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about a widow who had gone to a judge asking for justice, and the judge ignored her outright without even hearing her case. So what did she do? Did she give up? Nope. She hounded him day and night, followed him into the grocery store, into the pharmacy, stood outside his office window all day long, followed him into the parking lot, presenting her case. How incredibly annoying, right? But finally, the judge says to himself in Luke 18, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, where's Jesus going with that story? What is he saying? Jesus is saying, people of God, pray like that. Seriously? Yes. Jesus is saying, God loves annoying prayers. Jesus ends by saying, and will not God bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is saying, this annoying woman who won't give up, this is what faith looks like. To keep on bringing your heart, your concerns, your sadness, your frustrations, your fears to God over and over and over because it shows that you believe he is the one who matters. God's never annoyed with you coming to him like that in prayer. He loves it because he sees your questions. You're reaching out to him as a beautiful faith that persists even when it doesn't understand, even when it doesn't see. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Though it tarry, I will wait for it. And that kind of annoying faith is a beautiful, beautiful thing to the Lord. Because the truth is, for so much of the time, until we see it, we are not going to get what God is up to. God very rarely explains his reasons to us or gives us the big picture of what he's doing while he's doing it. Because he knows if he tried, we would just tune it out anyway. Whenever we ask how long or why, God's answers usually boil down to some form of just trust me, hang in there with me, because that's what faith is all about. And answering prayers in ways that you would not believe if you were told, God does that a lot in Scripture and in my life too. Has he done that in your life? I can't even count the number of times that I've been disappointed that God didn't answer my prayer in the way that I wanted it answered. And then afterward, I was grateful that he didn't. Because only after the fact did I see why the answer had been no. Because he was preparing me for a different yes. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, lived many years moving from one unfortunate circumstance to the other. Kidnapped, sold into slavery, wrongly accused, thrown in jail... And I wonder how often did he pray, how long and why, in those long, lonely circumstances until he saw the answer. Who would ever have believed this was how God was going to get him into a place of power where he could save his nation? 
That's what God was doing. And after God told King David he would be made king of Israel, instead, for years, he was running for his life, hiding out in caves because Saul was trying to kill him. And many of the Psalms in Scripture were written by David during those cave times when all he had was the promise that God had plans for him. Sure didn't look that way from where he was sitting. Those years he cried out to God, how long? Taught him how to dig deep, how to go to God alone for his strength. And without those cave years, David would not have become the great king, the great man of God that he became. And who would have guessed that through his how long and his why and his don't you care prayers, that God had already been unfolding a path toward a powerful and purposeful future. But that's what God was doing. So what's your cave? What's your how long prayer that you're bringing to God? Know today that if you are bringing it to God, even if it might be a very long way, it's not far now. Because the one you're asking already holds your future in his hands. And in your place of waiting, wherever it is, can you trust God enough to keep bringing him your annoying prayers, trusting him for the timing of the answer? Because that's what faith looks like. And as a congregation, I think for many people, we're in a place like that right now for asking how long and why. Because a search for a new senior pastor is a very important thing in the life and future of our church community. And change isn't easy for everyone. Sometimes it's hard to see where God is working in the meantime. And nobody loves waiting in the cave. But those cave times can be when God does some of his best work. And leading us past the surface stuff, getting us deeper, and teaching us to tap instead into what's eternal, what only comes from him. And it's understandable to feel impatient or anxious to know what's next. But in the meantime, our Lord is going to be at work in us to prepare us. If, like Habakkuk, like Joseph, like David, like Peter, we'll faithfully and knowingly keep bringing our questions to him and listening for his answers for us. And Habakkuk learned that truth. And that's what makes chapter 3 of his book so beautiful, because it's simply a prayer. In Habakkuk 3, 2, he prays, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. See, Habakkuk was reminded there's nothing God can't do. This is the same God who parted the Red Sea, who fed his people in the desert with bread from heaven. Where there's God, there's hope. So Habakkuk prays, God, I've heard what you can do. Do it again. Do it right here with us. And this is a brave prayer. Because when we ask God to move among us, we need to be ready to jump onto what he's doing. And Habakkuk is ready. And to show that's true, he ends his book by placing a stark description of his current reality next to a very bold statement of faith. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive oil crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread 
on the heights. Even when there's no cause for hope in what I see with my eyes, my heart is going to hope in you because you are the God who saves. You are the one who brings hope out of unexpected places, out from behind the scenes, and that's who God continues to be for you and for me. Because through the centuries, as God's people cried out to him, how long and why, God heard the question behind the questions, God, do you see me? Do you care about me? Do I matter to you? And in a way that no one would have believed, even if they were told, that people couldn't imagine even when they were told, God chose to answer that question and to settle it for all eternity with a resounding yes, when in Jesus Christ, God answered by sending his love into the very heart of our human suffering. God stepped into our human frailty to show us the solidarity that only true compassion could imagine and to make a sacrifice that only the truest love could ever make. And while justice demanded someone pay for the injustices of this world, our Lord himself bore the punishment for the sins of humanity. He died to end that story forever. And where people wept at the tomb of death, our resurrected Lord himself stepped out of death into life to show us that with this God, with our God, there is no place where he can't reach us. There is no sin that can separate a heart that longs for him from him. There's no barrier that can stop him from reaching us, not even death. And that's what Jesus came to teach us and to show us and to give us hope to show us that what was so very far from us, too far for us ever to reach, Jesus brought to us by his love. And we don't need to wait to arrive in his love anymore. He's brought it right here to you and to me, right here, right now, by his grace. That Jesus came to show us the God who loves us can be trusted to carry us through even when we don't see how. And when we ask those questions, how long, God, we can know Jesus has already begun the final countdown of evil's end. There will be a day injustice ends. We can trust him for that. And when we ask God, why do you let evil play out? When we wrestle with the evil, unjust actions of others, Jesus first answers our heart's question. Do you see? Do you care about me? With his answer of yes. That he wants you to know today that what you've brought to him, he hears it. He's on it. And whether the answer is yes or no or not yet, whether the wait is long or short, that we are on the way together, that he's right here with you. And because of what he has already done for you and me, we can trust that he will be with us and bring us home. And in the meantime, as we struggle with these questions of how long and why, our Lord invites us to trust him for the answers and to ask instead the question, what is this world experiencing from you? Am I honoring God with the life that he's given me? The righteous shall live in faithfulness. The righteous shall live by faith. Not in us, but in him. That we're called to be a people with a different focus. Because when our focus is on Jesus, whether the wait is long or short, we can trust we are right where we need to be, living as the people of God, the God who came to work hope from behind the scenes. 
Because just as he did with all of those people who have gone before us in faith, our Lord wants to be at work in you right here and right now to let your life be a vessel to show that hope for the world and bring it out from behind the scenes, even in this waiting time. Because faith is seeing not just what is right now, but seeing what God has promised and to choose to live with our hearts in that place of confident hope until we see it with our eyes. And may he do that for you and for me and by his Holy Spirit through you and through me today. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know what each one of us are facing today. And whatever it is that each of us are facing, we pray that you would help us keep our eyes on you through it all. Because you're the God who works out hope from behind the scenes. And because we trust your character, your power, your love, today we're going to try to be as annoying as possible in our prayers to you. Help us bring you everything on our hearts because we believe you alone have the words of eternal life. God, a surprising grace, we pray that you would draw us close to you, show us your hope along the way, and help us by our lives to show the world that we can trust your love that carries us. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.